0: Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 26 of The Communion of Saints, Paragraphs 2 and 3 Saints, by profession, are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification as also in relieving each other in outward things, according to their several abilities and necessities, which communion, as God offers opportunity, is to be extended unto all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Paragraph 3 This communion which the saints have with Christ does not make them in any wise partakers of the substance of his Godhead, or to be equal with Christ in any respect, either of which to affirm is impious and blasphemous. Nor doth their communion with one another as saints take away or infringe the title or propriety which each man has in his goods and possessions." Welcome, everyone, to episode 77 of This We Confess. And today we continue to study chapter 26 of our confession, entitled Of the Communion of Saints. In paragraph 1, we discovered that all Christians are saints, and not just some elite group decided in the Vatican. The saints are in a wonderful union with Christ, united to him by faith, and sharing in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And as we are united to Christ our head, we are united to one another in the church, and are called to build up one another as we use our gifts and our graces. As paragraph two begins, the Westminster Divines tell us that saints by profession are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God, and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. So First things first, Christians by the nature of their profession are duty-bound and obligated to take their place in the visible local church for the worship of Almighty God. The Westminster Divines could not envisage a Christian being deliberately absent from the church. And if you profess faith in Christ, but you do not take your place among God's people for the worship of God, then perhaps you have professed falsely. The Lord says in Isaiah 2 and verse 3, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. And then later in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2 and verse 42 and 46, we see again the people of God meeting together. Verse 42 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then in verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So to be a Christian, to be a saint, is to be part of the blood bought bride of Christ called the Church. And to profess faith and then to live a life of splendid isolation away from the rest of the body does not meet the standard of Scripture. And in these COVID times, let us be clear that online worship may have met a need during lockdown, but it was only ever a poor substitute for the live, in-person worship of Almighty God, which is required from all of those who profess faith in Christ. And not only are the saints to meet together to worship, they are also to meet and perform such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. And so it is, as the Apostle says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the Apostle is clear. We are to pray together. We are to study the Word together. We are to encourage one another. We are to meet together And as we look forward to the return of Christ, and as that day draws all the closer, we are to continue meeting together and not giving up on it. If we belong to Jesus, then these things are not optional extras, but instead the simple duty that is derived from our extraordinary union with Christ. The support we offer each other also extends to outward things. The Westminster Divines say this as the paragraph continues, that we are also to relieve each other in outward things, according to our abilities and necessities. Or in other words, we are not just to pray together, but if our brother is hungry, then we are to feed him. We are not just to come to worship together and to listen to the word of God preached, but if our brother is lacking in some practical way and we can meet that need, then we are to love him and support him in this way. In Acts 2 and 44 to 45, once more, we read that the Christians in those early days, after the ascension of Christ, they believed and they were together and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We will see before the end of this chapter that that doesn't mean that we have to sell everything and all move in together in a barn and a field somewhere. However, just very simply, if your brother has a practical need, and you can meet that need, then you should. It shows your love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a good work that comes from a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. So as Christians, as saints, we have communion together as we draw together regularly to worship the Lord. And as we do that, we stir one another up and we encourage one another. We build each other's faith up and we edify one another. And also as Christians, If we can help each other practically, then we hold nothing back. All of this comes from the fact that by faith we have been united to Christ, and therefore, just as we belong to Him, we belong to each other. And as we belong to one another locally, we also belong to one another internationally. We remind ourselves that we are part of the Holy Catholic Church, now, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Holy Catholic Church, the universal church that is made up of all true believers throughout this world. Wherever the name of Jesus Christ is professed as Lord, there we find the Church of Jesus Christ. And so, as the Divines tell us, this communion that we enjoy locally is to be extended unto all of those who, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that Christians in Africa are our brothers and sisters and deserve our prayers and our practical support. This means that we have more in common with Christians in South America than we do with our pagan neighbours here in Northern Ireland. This means that our brothers and sisters in Asia deserve our hand of friendship and fellowship and help. Wherever the gospel has been preached, and wherever men and women have received it by repentance and faith, and have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then there is the church, and we are to extend unto all of those our friendship, our fellowship, our love, and our support. In Acts 11 verse 29 to 30, we see this attitude played out in the church in the early days after the ascension. The disciples determined, we read there, Everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Just because these believers in Judea were many, many miles away, didn't absolve the Christians in other parts of the world from their practical care and support. And so, brothers and sisters, pay attention to the Church Catholic. Never believe that the church only exists between the four walls where you worship, but understand always that the church is an international body, made up of the blood-bought bride of Christ wherever she may be, regardless of its native tongue, and regardless of the boundaries that it finds itself in, it deserves the prayers and the practical support of the saints. And so regardless of the church locally or internationally, Our standard in this matter is found in 1 John 3 and 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? May we always be found to be acting in love towards the household and family of God. As this chapter concludes, the Westminster Divine stress, however, the limits of our union with Christ in two important ways. Firstly, they say, in paragraph 3, This communion which the saints have with Christ does not make them in any wise partakers of the substance of His Godhead, or to be equal with Christ in any respect, either of which to affirm is impious and blasphemous. So the Divines warn us against any notion that somehow our union with Christ makes us like Jesus. it turns us into a little god that perhaps we share somehow in his divinity. If anybody has ever stressed these things to you, or if you have begun to believe them yourself, then hear the warning of the divines. They say that such belief is both impious and blasphemous. Now at first listen to this you may think to yourself, well, who could ever believe such things to be true? Imagine considering that somehow by faith in Jesus you have become like Christ himself. That somehow through faith in Christ you somehow share in the divinity of the Lord. But my friends, unfortunately, there are those today who consider Christians to be little gods. There are very famous preachers and teachers, very famous churches which produce so much music that goes out into the church who declare this to be true that we must underline this teaching and we must stress that a Christian does not become a little god by virtue of their union with Christ. To stress otherwise is quite simply blasphemy. And if you ever hear someone declaring it to be true, then you know to flee from such an individual. It is certainly true to say that Jesus Christ is our elder brother, And it is certainly true to say that each and every day we are being sanctified and made to be more like Jesus. However, nowhere in the scriptures are we told that we are being turned into God himself, that we are going to share the Godhead, that we are going to be made divine. This is false teaching and must be rejected. This is clear in the scriptures. Psalm 45 is about the Lord Jesus Christ, and in verse 7 it says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Later in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 8 to 9, we read this, Of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so it is Christ Jesus alone who has been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. Yes, He is our Saviour and Lord and Friend. Yes, we are being made more like Him each and every day, as the Spirit works and as we attend to the ordinary means of grace. But we will never be Jesus. We will never be divine. We will never be the Son of God. We will never share in the Godhead. Once more, to say otherwise is a perversion of the teaching of our union with Christ. The Lord has said in Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. How can we take such a verse and then still believe that somehow, through our union with Christ, we are little gods? It is simply not true. And we would do well to remember what the Apostle Paul wrote about Christ in Colossians 1. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ alone is the preeminent one, and all the fullness of God does not dwell in you or I. It dwells in Christ. We have a wonderful mystical union with Jesus, but once more this does not turn us into God. Indeed, as Paul would say in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 15 to 16, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So our union with Christ does not make us little gods. We do not share in the divine. Only God is God. And so, with this important point stated, we move to the end of this chapter. And while the final point that the divines make here doesn't compare in importance with the little gods issue, it is still worth stating, and that is to say that our communion with one another does not take away or infringe the title or propriety which each man has in his goods and possessions. Or in other words, just because we have communion with one another, just because there is something called the communion of saints, it doesn't mean that Christians cannot hold private property. Throughout the ages there have been a multitude of Christian cults and sects that have insisted upon you selling everything you have and putting all your earthly goods into the pot. Such a standard may seem very noble, but it cannot be supported biblically. Firstly, we see in God's moral law in the book of Exodus chapter 20 that you shall not steal. And so a Christian has no right to steal from a fellow Christian under the banner of the communion of saints. And in Acts chapter 5 we see the tragic story of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They had a piece of property and they sold it. And Ananias, with his wife's knowledge, kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And the issue here in Acts 5 wasn't the fact that Ananias owned property. And it wasn't the fact that he only brought some of the proceeds to the apostles. It was the fact that he had lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter would say to him in verse 4, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. The issue here was not private property, or the selling or the purchasing of private property. The issue here was the lies that Ananias and his wife told to the Holy Spirit, Rather than the owning or buying or selling of private property. So the Christian can own private property, and the Christian can buy and sell property as he or she sees fit, and a Christian has no business stealing property from anyone, and indeed from other Christians. It is as the Westminster Divines say that it is right and proper that each man or woman can have their own goods and possessions. Now, of course, with that said, we must always be careful that our goods and possessions do not ensnare us, nor should they become an idol. But instead it is, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4 and verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The Christian can own private property. But the Christian must always bear in mind that he or she is part of the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, and therefore our goods and our possessions should always be seen through the prism of the gospel of grace, and we should always be prepared to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, as we finish this chapter, we see that the communion of saints is a living, breathing doctrine, Our union with Jesus transforms us and causes us to see with fresh eyes our relationship with Christ and with each other. No longer do we drift through life standing alone and insisting upon an individualistic relationship between us and God. Instead, grounded in our union with Jesus, we love our fellow saints, we worship with them, we grow with them, We serve with them, pray with them, we support them spiritually and materially. We encourage them and we receive these blessings in return. Here is the communion of saints, united to Christ and united to each other. As always today, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. According to the Westminster Divines, saints, by their profession of faith, are bound to what? Question 2. How would you respond to a professing Christian who tells you that they do not need to attend a local church? Question 3. Outline some of the ways that we are to support one another as Christians. And question 4. Explain the two ways in which our union with Christ and communion with each other is limited. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess.